So thank you for having me here today. Um, I just wanted to talk about some stuff that happened recently and what God was speaking to me about that. So recently my family and I went snorkelling at the Great Barrier Reef, which was amazing. And um, we really appreciated that we could do that with our kids. We had an awesome time. Um, but there was something that happened during that experience that really um, made me stop and think. So I thought, oh, I think this is what God maybe wants to talk to us about today. So we went snorkelling on like a sailboat. It was really beautiful. Um, there was other people there. So you kind of book like a day tour um, snorkelling. So there were staff, there were instructors. Um, it's all done very safely. So you have to fill out paperwork um, and medical forms. So you have to list any medical conditions you have or possibly have had, including uh, medications that you're currently taking. So three people in my family are asthmatic or have had asthma. So we had to fill out those and I take medications, so I filled that out as well. And then the instructors come around to every person, every group, and they sit with you and um, go through the paperwork, ask more for more information. And you know, what is your medication for and that type of thing. So the instructor said that they put tape around the top of your snorkel if you've got any sort of pertinent medical issues. Um, and it's just they have spotters on the boat. So I was, you know, hoping they were spotting for sharks as well. But they um, keep an eye out on anyone that's got tape on the top of their snorkel just in case they become distressed so they can sort of say, oh, that, you know, it turns out if you have an asthma attack in the open ocean, probably not the best thing. So the snorkels were yellow and they put a bit of red masking tape on the top. So the guy came back round and went through all of our medical info and then put tape on the three asthmatic snorkels and then he put some on mine as well. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not asthmatic. And he's like, oh, he just looked quite uncomfortable. He didn't really look me in the eye. And he's like, oh, we'll just, I'm just going to do this. And then he walked off and I'm like, that's a bit weird. And then it hit me. Now the medication I'm on is for managing excessive adrenaline. That was caused by a season of complex post-traumatic stress disorder I had years ago. So I had said my medication's for anxiety because that's the easiest way to explain it. And, he, and that's why he was marking my snorkel. So he just heard the word anxiety and decided to, you know, mark me as a potential issue in the water. So I don't blame him. It turns out losing sight of your children in the open ocean for a little while does make a mum a little bit anxious, but in that moment um, I realised that I had been judged in some way, that he had decided, you know, this is an issue, I'm going to, to mark it. And for me it's like, it's part of my story, but it's not my identity and daily life, you just get on with things. So I just had this like, I was gutted. I, I just had this wave of shame that came over me and I'm like, seriously? Like that's what, you don't know anything about me? I just had this wave of like defensiveness and anger that kind of came up. So I wanted to grab him and explain. I'm like, you know, don't you judge me. Like I had, compli I had medical complications that were very, quite traumatic, quite unexpected. I had unexpected family loss in the middle of that and it had a big impact on my nervous system. There was a lot of shock that happened and it's like I've worked really hard and I'm a really strong woman and you don't get to decide that I'm an anxious person and I'm going to have problems when I'm snorkeling. Completely rational, of course. Um, <laughs> now, he wouldn't have cared. He's just doing his job and 
you know, they did it very thoroughly and I appreciated their doing their job and keeping us all safe. But the depth of my reaction really surprised me because I felt such shame in that moment and it just reminded me how powerful shame can be. Now, there's a lot, um, we talk about shame a lot in church and there's a lot of Bible verses around that and they kind of all have different angles on it. It says things about renouncing secret and shameful ways. It says that those who believe in him will never be put to shame. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. So it's used in a lot of context, but the general overview is that without God, we carry shame, but God takes that away from us. He frees us and he releases us into life and identity and purpose. However, shame is something we all still experience and feel. So how do we navigate that when it visits us? As Christians, we're redeemed from shame, so technically we, shouldn't, we, we just shouldn't feel it anymore because God's taken it away. However, we do, so does that make us failures? And then we can start to feel ashamed of having shame. So it's incredibly um, powerful. And I feel like it's something that we need, I wanted to talk about today. So when we feel it, it's not pleasant and we often do anything to push that experience away. It can be a real driving force in our behaviours whether we realise it or not. So it's sometimes the reason people use substances, it's the reason people push relationship away, it's the reason some people work too much or judge others um, because it will do anything to not feel that. Shame can steal life from us, it can steal our future, it can keep us immobilised and isolated from others and our potential in God. My reaction in that moment was defensiveness and a bit of anger. How dare you make a decision about my capacity without even knowing me, was my response. But that was just my shame reacting. It um, is something that we even wish on others. So there's that concept of naming and shaming people. While we were away, we went to um, like a market kind of place. It was away from Corona, so it's all good. And there were pictures up of people in this market, like it was like an indoor market with all these little stalls. And there were pictures of people up with their photos saying, basically people who'd shoplifted, and it was a caption saying, this person is not welcome here. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty publicly shaming them. <laughs> The Bible also talks about the wicked and the unjust being shameless in their behaviour, meaning that they've acted brazenly, unrepentedly, outrageously, and there's this concept of, well, they should have shame about their ungodly behaviour. So I started thinking, is there some kind of purpose for shame? God made us, and he made us with all of our emotions, which include shame, so why would he do that? So today I wanted to talk about helpful and unhelpful shame how to differentiate between the two and what do we do with that. So I wanted to talk about King David to start with. So he achieved great things in God. He um, defeated Goliath as a young person. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He had many great um, achievements in battle. He captured the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He wrote many Psalms and he expanded the boundaries of his kingdom. But he also committed sexual sin and murder. So he saw his neighbour, Bathsheba, who was a bit of a hottie. He slept with her. She was married, got her pregnant. 
Um, he tried to get her husband, who was a soldier, to come back from battle and sleep with her so they could explain that pregnancy away, but his, her husband refused to do it. He wanted to stay with his men. So then David orchestrated Bathsheba's husband's death in battle, so put him where he was likely to be killed, which he was, and then he married her. Now, he had a good mate, Nathan, who was a prophet. So he went to David to confront him about his wrongdoings and rebuke his sinful behaviour. And he told David a story of how a rich man had a traveller visit him and he had to pick an animal to slaughter for their meal. So instead of the rich man picking an animal from his own big flock of cattle and sheep, he picked the one sheep that a poor man owned who was basically like a family pet that they'd raised from birth and looked after and he killed the poor man's sheep. Now, interestingly, David's response to that story was anger. It said he burnt with anger against the rich man and said that he should be killed for what he did. So a little bit of a guilty conscience there, I think. Nathan said, you are that rich man, and then gave him feedback about his ungodly behaviour and what David had done. Now, his response was in 2 Samuel 12, 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then he wrote Psalm 51. So I'm just going to quickly go over that. There's no PowerPoint today, so sorry, you'll have to look it up on your phones or whatever. Now my phone is not playing. There you go. So Psalm 51 is... And it's still figuring it out. (laughs) Just talk amongst yourselves. All right. So this is a psalm he wrote after they'd have this conversation with Nathan and David realised what what he'd done. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then we'll pop down to... And then he says, I've sinned against you, I've done what is evil in your sight. And then verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide my face, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So there's four things that I can take away from this story. The first thing is that helpful shame is truth-telling. It's a warning light that we're walking out of God's good ideas for how to live life and can show us that we're out of fellowship with God. It can tell us truth about something we need to bring to God, confess, ask for his help with. It shines the light on our behaviour. Unhelpful shame does not speak the truth. It speaks lies to us and often pushes us into secrecy and hiding ourselves from God, just as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they ate the fruit. They realised they were naked and they hid from God. Satan does his best work in the dark and that's where unhelpful shame tries to take us. Now for David, his shame connected him with his actions that grieve God. Now I think this is a really important point for helpful shame because currently modern culture drums into us just do what feels good. And if it makes you feel bad, ignore it. You're allowed to live any way you want as long as it doesn't hurt others. And under that manner, many types of ungodly behaviour has now become quite normalised. So helpful shame serves the purpose of shining the light on choices and behaviours that don't honour God. 
So what did David do when, he, when the light shone truth on his behaviour? So firstly, helpful shame is truth-telling. Secondly, helpful shame gives us a pathway to, for reconciliation with God. Once we've acknowledged our behaviours which have taken us away from God's plan, helpful shame connects us back with him and God in his graciousness provides us a pathway. We confess, we repent, we invite. So Psalm 51 sort of basically goes through what God can do for us and there's a lot of verbs in that. There's a lot of action. We cleanse, God cleanses us, he washes, he hides, he restores, he grants, he delivers and he opens. Now it's God doing all of this. So David said, create in me a pure heart, hide your face from my sins, cleanse me, uh, wash away my iniquity, restore. So God is doing all the work there, which is awesome, but we can't possibly escape our shame without God's help. But we need to go to him first so we can partner with him in that. So David had to recognise, I've done this thing that separates me from you. I'm feeling shame about it, so I'm going to go back to you, God, to help me address that. What happens if we don't? If we feel our shame, we know we've done the wrong thing, but that's, that's as far as we take it. We don't go back to God. So Psalm 32 gives us a clue. When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So that's really describing someone who's very low, lost, alone, empty, hopeless, which is what a lot of us feel at different stages in life. So that's where David was. But then in verse 5, he seeks forgiveness. And verse 5 of Psalm 32 says... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. So that's the truth-telling aspect. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me of my sin. So God provides us a pathway through our shame, which is another example of his great love for us. And that's walking in the light and truth of Jesus. So helpful shame propels us towards godly action. Thirdly, helpful shame reminds us of our identity. It shows us that we need him. We can easily forget that we need God when we start to, when things start to go well in life, we often attribute that to our own efforts and our own success and our own goodness and we kind of forget we really do need God. And I, as I was preparing this, was remembering the um, Israelites and God rescued them out of Egypt and they literally saw like, the sea was split in two, all the plagues that visited Egypt, the manna in the desert, like they saw all the stuff that God saw, provided for their miracles, but the very first chance they get, they're worshipping a golden cow. So it's that sense of, God, we need you, save us, we need you, do all this stuff for us, oh, it's all good now, bro, I'm just going to worship a cow. So they literally saw this stuff and then just forgot that they needed God. So sometimes um, helpful shame reminds us, oh Lord, like I've, I've stuffed up again and I need you. If we deny our shame and say it doesn't exist and we don't have it, it's kind of pretending that, and we pretend that it's not there, we're saying that we aren't flawed, sinful beings who need a saviour. If we ignore our shame, which is essentially our need for God, we run the risk of walking around with like a constant low-grade temperature of bondage. It's like this under-the-radar sickness that we have. 
We can never get rid of shame by convincing ourselves that it doesn't exist. Instead, we can look at it in the face with Jesus standing by our side, remembering that he is our righteousness. Now, unhelpful shame seeks to separate us from God. Helpful shame pushes us towards him. And just to give, I guess, an example of this identity stuff, helpful shame says, I made a mistake. Unhelpful shame says, I am a mistake. Helpful shame says, my behaviour wasn't good enough. Unhelpful shame says, I am not good enough. Helpful shame says, I am nothing without God. Unhelpful shame says, I am nothing. And helpful shame says, I did a bad thing. And unhelpful says, I am bad. So helpful shame pushes us towards our identity in Jesus as we need God. Lastly, unhelpful shame, thanks Dave, seems to separate us from God. So unhelpful shame seeks to keep us away from God and from others. Satan's always going to try and hurl condemnation at us and burden us with our guilt. Remember when you did this, you are not good enough. However, the gospel reminds us that that shame is misplaced. In Christ, we are forgiven and restored and we're reconciled to God and there's nothing in heaven and earth that can separate us from the love of God. Helpful shame produces transformation, restoration and freedom and transparency. Unhelpful shame does none of that. Remember the next step after feeling shame was a call to action towards God and that's its purpose. Now, how do you identify which is helpful and unhelpful shame? Because all of it feels like crap. It's going to make you feel terrible about yourself. So the answer is found in the function of the shame. So unhelpful shame makes us cling to hiddenness and separation from relationship with others, separation from our purpose and separation from salvation. Helpful shame motivates us to seek God. Unhelpful shame paralyzes us from godly action Helpful shame promotes that act of reconciliation. Unhelpful shame motivates legalistic behaviour change without heart change. Helpful shame changes us from the inside out. Unhelpful shame destroys. Helpful shame restores. And unhelpful shame enslaves, rejects and condemns a person's identity. Helpful shame rejects and condemns a person's behaviour. So the function of shame can be to be an eye-opener, a moment of recognition or conviction, to show us our sinful motives and our need for salvation and our need for God. So I guess if we understand that shame can have a purpose in our life, what do we do when we feel it? So there's three options. The first is we can partner with it and we can let it, identi- we can let it um, define our identity, beliefs and our behaviour. It can send us into a spiral of of self-hatred. Now, um, as some of you know, I work in the community with families that need a little bit of help and I approach them. They don't come asking for help. The nature of my work is I approach them. So often the reaction isn't very positive at first because there's this person saying, hey, there's an issue, we need to talk about this. And often their response is like a lot of hostility, anger, sometimes verbal abuse, um, you know, quite kind of yeah, angry behaviour. And for me, none of that is personal because I know that I'm saying, hey, we need to talk about something that you're probably feeling quite ashamed about. And I get that. 
You know, there's often we, we try and push it away of I'm not doing a good job with this so I'm just going to not feel those feelings or I'm going to distract myself with A, B, C, D so we don't feel the feelings and then someone comes along and says, hey, we need to look at that. And so the initial reaction is to push that away and to be quite angry. But what's happening underneath that is sort of a spiral of self-hatred that people fall into. And as Christians, shame, if we partner with shame, is it can shut down our story with God. And we're actually partnering with lies. It can trigger the broken record that we all have at some point in our brain that we've picked up along the journey of life of, oh man, this has happened so clearly I'm a terrible Christian and all my friends are better Christians than me and no one loves me and I'm a loser and whatever it is, we fall in that spiral incredibly quickly. So for me, when the man brought up the reason that um, they were putting tape on my, <laughs> my snorkel, such a minor issue really, is that it just sparked this whole thing in me of like, oh, well, yeah, that's my history and this is not good and it can just send you down that spiral. So when we partner with shame, it can become our dwelling place and that's um, not what God wants us to do. So secondly, we can ignore our shame and just pretend it doesn't exist. So... Unfortunately, it doesn't go away. It will still fester and in fact, it'll drive your actions and influence your beliefs whether you're aware of it or not. So all of us have had a really over-the-top reaction when someone says or does something um, where we react really badly and it's completely irrational and that's because our shame was touched in that moment and it's addressing a whole bunch of stuff we're trying really hard not to deal with and it keeps us from a full life with Jesus. So we can partner with the shame and take us down the spiral. We can ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist, or we can acknowledge it. We can sit with it for a bit. We can ask it, do you have anything to teach me? We can action those steps of reconciliation back to God, and then we can say goodbye to it. So why is it so important to understand when shame is occurring and then choose a response? It's because, as I said, shame's an incredibly powerful motivator for our behaviour. It often provokes pretty extreme reactions in us. Someone points out something, and even if they're not being nasty, we lash out at them. And it's a big sore point. And unfortunately for many of us, we're not even aware that that's happening. So we're living life, this kind of blind reactions, which really just damages ourselves. Imagine if you lived life with those sore points healed and you live life with response instead of reaction. Now, if you don't know what your sore points are, then what are the things that trigger angry, defensive, over-the-top re reactions? Or what are the things that make you, interactions that make you spiral into a really negative thinking about yourself and you hide away or separate yourself from God and others? So I encourage you to pay attention when you have a shame response and ask God, what does this have to teach me? How do we journey through this? So today I just wanted to invite anyone for prayer um, who, wa who wants prayer for this, who's grappling with either secret places of shame or who wants to invite God into an area of life where they've been prompted to move towards a more godly response. And what we need to remember as well is when um, other people may judge us, then that's usually about their stuff. It's not about us. And we have a choice whether we partner with them in shaming us and shaming themselves or whether we go, okay, this is not who I am. So when we, I was sitting on the boat and the man walked away and I had my internal argument with him in my head, 
um, I thought, well, my choice is I can let this ruin the day and start thinking about all the things that happened and take myself to that place, or I can go, no, no, I know who I am in Jesus. I know that God's healed me. I would like to be fully healed. I live with a nervous system that never fully recovered, but it is what it is, and I don't need to let that define who I am. I know who I am. I know what God's done in me, and I'm going to let that pass for the day and have a good, a good experience with my family. So that's those moments, and sometimes these are really frequent choices we have to make of, okay, I need to talk myself through this. Who am I in God? What has God done for me? This isn't my identity anymore, and just ask God to be with us in that moment. So this morning, I'd really love to pray with anyone who wants to um, have further prayer into this or have God shine some more light into this. So thank you for listening.